two Barclays analysts. One hot topic, all sides explored. This is The Flip Side. The Flip Side is a podcast series featuring lively debate between two Barclays research analysts, taking opposing viewpoints on timely topics of importance to economies and businesses around the globe. Welcome to our 40th episode of The Flip Side. I'm Jeff Melly, the head of research at Barclays. I'm joined today by Ajay Rajadox, our global head of macro research. Ajay, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Jeff. All right, today, we're going to explore the economic significance of the recent development of oral antivirals for COVID treatment. Now, both Merck and Pfizer have recently introduced their respective COVID pills for people who actually catch the disease. Now, Merck's pill has a 50% efficacy rate against severe disease outcomes. So let's put some numbers on that. What does that mean? That means, let's say, for example, you're unvaccinated and had some high risk factor and you got COVID. Before the pill, there'd be roughly a 15% chance that you would end up inside of a hospital. And with the pill, that chance drops by half if you take it early in your infection, say, in the first couple of days. Now, the Pfizer numbers are even stronger than that, almost a 90% reduction in severe disease outcome, and at least in the initial testing, a 100% reduction in mortality. Yeah, so I'm really excited about these developments, Jeff. First and most importantly, they will go a long way towards reducing the adverse health outcomes from COVID. Over 5 million people have died from COVID worldwide, including over 750,000 in the United States. It would be a tremendous achievement to stop this ongoing tragedy. And quite frankly, I'm also excited for what it means for the global economy. I think we see a resurgence in growth. A lot of concerns around inflation could quickly fade. And this outcome is absolutely not priced into financial markets right now. Well, Ajay, I certainly agree that an effective treatment for COVID that dramatically cuts or even eliminates the most severe outcomes would be something to celebrate. Uh, but I'm skeptical about the possibility of the big economic gains that you're talking about. We've heard this story before, obviously most notably around the vaccines, but also with other treatments like antibodies. I think the bounce from what you would call like, quote unquote, dealing with COVID has really played out already. Okay, so l let me take the other side. Let me tell you why I think this is such a game changer. This is a pill. You feel COVID symptoms, you get a prescription, you pop a pill, and if it's Pfizer, and given the trial results, you are fine a few days from now. It's a pill, so it can be shipped anywhere. It can be stored at room temperature. Unlike vaccines, where storage is a real issue, you do not need a nurse's help, so you are not straining health resources like with the monoclonal antibodies. It's almost like we will turn COVID into getting something like strep throat, very easily manageable. You know, Ajay, the real world doesn't play out the same way as clinical trials. Now, remember, everything that you just laid out was exactly what we were told vaccines were going to do. The first test showed that the mRNA vaccines were over 90% effective at preventing symptomatic disease. We were all going to go back to normal as soon as we got the jabs, and it was going to be the greatest economic expansion ever. It's like the modern version of the Roaring Twenties. People were stocking up on vintage martini glasses. But instead, we got variants, we got resistance to the vaccines, we got breakthrough infections, and now new waves of COVID. Aren't we just forgetting this recent experience and sort of, you know, restating these predictions? So I have two responses to that, Jeff. First, many of those waves that you mentioned occurred before large swathes of population were really vaccinated. India's horrific March and April wave, for example. And in some cases, the vaccines, like the Chinese version, 
seem to have far less efficacy than the ones in the West. Well, you're talking about a couple of emerging market countries, but what about the developed world, which was much quicker on vaccinations? I mean, take Germany, for example. 70% of the country is vaccinated. That was supposed to be herd immunity. And they're now in the middle of a massive wave, all-time highs in cases. The U.S. is similar. We're still getting 70 to 80,000 cases a day. Now, that's down 50% from the peak in the summer, but still a very high number, and we're having over 1,000 deaths a day. That, that is true, and that is a tragedy. But 70% vaccinations, I guess it turns out, it still means tens of millions of unvaccinated host bodies for new variants to develop, new waves to occur. And some developed countries, I think, are also dealing with waning immunity from the first shots as time passes. Yeah, but why is a pill so different? I mean, realistically, storage and those other issues are not what is stopping people in the developed world from getting vaccinated. I think the main difference, Jeff, is that once someone gets COVID, they do take the pill, even if they refuse vaccination. Remember, vaccine skeptics don't generally refuse medical intervention. They see doctors, they get surgeries. It is simply vaccine hesitancy that is the issue and one that we admittedly underestimated. But as long as that is right, then with early enough treatment, the viral load cannot grow as much, cannot share or transmit to as many people, which means it directly slows the spread, which means fewer host bodies for new variants to develop, and so on and so forth. Well, maybe. Maybe instead, folks completely bail on the vaccine uh, because now there's a treatment and COVID spreads like crazy. People need to quarantine more often because no one gets vaccinated. I mean, keep in mind, neither of us is vaccinated against strep throat, to use your earlier analogy. You know, mm -hmm. Pfizer committed to 50 million doses over the next year. But there are 7.5 billion people in the world. If behavior changes because of a presumption of access to a treatment, we could be as just as bad of a spot as we're in right now. And then again, what about variants? I mean, this time last year, Delta was just an airline. Now it's the, the most significant strain of COVID. Again, the clinical trial and the real world proved to be very different. So you are making a fair point on the numbers, and, and we will need to keep as much of the population vaccinated as possible. Though, you know, if the treatments do work as well as they seem to, we can probably afford some increase in vaccine hesitancy. Also, Pfizer now says it will produce considerably more than 50 million by the end of next year. They haven't given a new estimate, but it's higher. And most importantly, Jeff, both Merck and Pfizer have signed up with the medicine patent pool, which means unlike with vaccines, where the rollout was a little slower across the world, right now companies in 105 lower income countries can produce those pills at the same time royalty free. Now, as to the science, it is admittedly early, but it looks like the efficacy of these treatments may be far less subject to variants and mutations. So fingers crossed. All right, well, let's shift to the impact that all of this may have on the economy. Now, the world economy is going to grow above 6% this year. That's the fastest growth we've had in decades, way faster and more robust a recovery than anything that we've seen since at least the year 2000. I don't think COVID really slowed us down this year. The recent slowing that we're experiencing is not really because of COVID, but really because we made up all the ground we lost in 2020, and we're kind of returning back to a normal environment. So, so I, I disagree on that, Jeff. I, I would argue that COVID was a lingering fear all year. What I think of as the last mile on services activity, eating out as frequently, taking the same kinds of vacations that you did pre-COVID, 
behaving the exact same way as before Jan 2020, that really didn't happen this year. And I'm not even factoring in localized restrictions, which still keep occurring in new surges. We've seen that in Europe and in emerging markets especially. Even in the United States, schools were not fully open across 21. Office workers have not fully returned. All of this is a drag on growth. So yeah, the recovery has been good, but it could have been great. And that, I think, is what the pills could ultimately unleash. Well, AJ, you know, the world's big problem right now isn't really weak growth or low consumption. It's high inflation. Consumers still have lots of excess savings, money they would have spent in 2020 but didn't. It's something like $2.5 trillion in excess savings just from U.S. households. If we unleashed all of this savings, unleashed the economy, as you put it, All that happens is the prices rise even faster. There's actually no place to spend the money right now. We have shortages of cars, chips, smartphones. We're even being warned that holiday gifts won't be on the shelves as people start shopping. You know, where's all this money going to get spent? So you you raise a great point, Jeff, but I, I I would argue that these oral antivirals, these treatments have the potential to both reduce inflation and boost growth at the same time. First, goods inflation like you said has been what has been driving up prices precisely because of the shortages you mentioned but supply chains have taken it on the chin with periodic shutdowns across different parts of the world there has been difficulty getting uh, hiring workers who are afraid of covid etc these supply chain bottlenecks i think will dissipate more quickly once treatments are widely available second consumers have massively shifted away from services to goods but services like traveling eating out nightlife all will come back in a hurry if we are no longer living in fear of breakthrough infection so goods will be more available people will demand less of them and the single biggest driver of inflation could reverse in a hurry well, aj you're leaving something out in that narrative where are we going to get all these extra workers for the restaurants the bars the hotels etc we actually have a massive shortage of workers already and a bunch of service companies can't operate because they can't hire If what you're saying is true and the demand for services spikes, we're just going to replace goods inflation with services inflation. And we're going to supercharge wage inflation, which underlies all of that, because literally every business is going to be trying to hire. So I think, Jeff, that a lot of people will return to the workforce once COVID concerns have faded. And I admit that is a necessary assumption to avoid the outcome you're talking about. But I do think it's an easy one to justify. Our economists just wrote about the labor shortage in our latest global outlook and the missing workers seem like they are coming almost predominantly from married households that had two incomes before the pandemic. Yes, unemployment benefits have run out, but these folks are still generally feeling fairly good about their fiscal situation and covid concerns are elevated. So with these two together, they are comfortable staying on the sidelines at least one of them. but inflation and reduced fears of disease when you combine them they will be a pretty powerful draw for that second worker in that couple coming back into the workforce next year and i don't think the worker shortage lasts if these pills are everything that they seem to be you know my final issue ajay is i think that we're so far into this pandemic experience that most of the transitions that you're talking about at this point are zero sum so what i mean by that is we don't actually consume more just differently like the transition you're talking about is that we would replace goods consumption with services consumption 
not necessarily that everybody spends more money, just they spend it a bit differently, maybe a bit more like how we spent it pre-pandemic. You know, we've we've largely learned to live with COVID. We're not really stockpiling savings anymore. It is true, households have lots of excess savings, but currently we're spending much closer to normal. Those savings were built up during the height of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. We're just buying different stuff now than we used to buy. So I'm not sure why this transition to the pre-COVID patterns still at this point means more growth. So look, you have a point here, and, and I think your argument is right to a certain extent, Jeff. But I would say that countries that need more international back and forth, who have fewer people vaccinated, will be helped disproportionately. You and I are lucky we don't live in such a country. So in that sense, this is a bigger benefit for, for example, emerging economies. And I think there are losers too of this. It's, it's not a surprise that when Pfizer reported its results, the same day, stocks of vaccine component makers antibody testers, anything where COVID is a big business, well, this, those stocks dropped. But I think overall it is, I think you underestimate how much this could lift all boats. Even in the West, like I said earlier, our behavior has not returned to pre-pandemic levels. Even on the work front, let alone on the personal front, we are still conducting virtual client conferences. People are flying the London, New York transatlantic route far, far less for work than before. You think far more about booking a vacation, especially if you're crossing borders. If COVID is no longer a major issue, I think that will be a big deal for the world from both a health and an economic standpoint. Well, Ajay, if you're telling me I'm going to have to start traveling to London again, I guess I should cross off everything from my holiday wish list that involved updating my home office. But anyway, I hope you're right about the transition that's likely to happen. It certainly would be great to move out of the pandemic phase into something more manageable, both from a health standpoint and an economic standpoint. And obviously it's early days yet, but we're going to continue to analyze the implications of the Pfizer and Merck pills for the global economy. Clients can read our latest analysis of the economy and markets in our most recent global outlook, More Good Than Bad, available on Barclays Live. That's all for now from this Barclays podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time on The Flip Side. For more insights on this topic, Clients can log into Barclays Live or find out more at barclays.com/cib.